So I decided I was going to preach on Matthew 2, 1 through 12, and I studied and I read and I prepared and I started writing. And at some point, I got curious whether I had ever preached this passage before. And I went back and I found I had this exact passage, and not just this exact passage, but the exact sermon I was rewriting. So you know what I did? I stopped writing. And I went back and looked at what I'd written and I said, yeah, that's what I wanted to preach. So 10 years ago, in 2011, I preached this sermon on Christmas Eve in my home because that was the only place where we could have a Christmas Eve service in Indianapolis that year. What a joy and a privilege it is to be able to preach it again this morning here to you. Ken gave us some good introductory material on the Magi, and it's, it's very interesting how little we know about the Magi and how much debate there's been in church history, ideas that people have had about what we, what we may be able to guess about them. Now, kids, do you remember a song about the Magi? Can you think of a song that we sing about the Magi? Yeah, Tate. We Three Kings. Now, why in the world would the title of the song be We Three Kings when Mr. Patrick just got done telling us that they were astrologers? This might be the only thing that in my studying this time I found out that I didn't already have written down. <laughs> it comes from an old... Uh, an old Roman Catholic idea that there, there was one prophecy in the Old Testament that talked about <clears throat> a couple of places where the kings would bow down. And, uh, and so somebody had said, oh, well, that must be the fulfillment of that prophecy. And so it became fairly common at that time to to talk about the Magi as kings. They have a lot of money, so I mean, that's, I guess, another possible reason why they could be kings. But um, Calvin pointed out quite helpfully that it doesn't work because the location is west for those places, not east. So we probably shouldn't call them kings and think that they're fulfilling this prophecy from kings from the west bowing down, since the Bible does say one of the only things that it says about the Magi is that they came from where, kids? The east. Exactly. So we're going to talk about the Magi, and you, you can call them wise men, uh, because we know from the Bible that they are wise. How do we know that they're wise? Any reason why you think that we could call them wise? What makes them so smart? Well, yeah, Judah, you 
Because they're magicians. Well, that's part of where the title comes from, that when we call them wise men. But I say that they're wise because they came and worshipped Jesus. That's wise, isn't it? And it's particularly wise when you think about all of the other people who didn't come and worship Jesus. And that's what I want us to think about this morning, is the difference between being wise and being foolish that we see in this passage from Matthew 2. Now, we do hear about the wise men at Christmas, right? And Christmas is when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And we know that the wise men, the magi, came when Jesus was still a baby, but they probably didn't arrive until at least a year after he was born, if we had to, if we had to guess. We know they didn't come right on the day that he was born, and how do we know that? Alien. That's a, good, that's a good reason to think that it would have taken a long time for them to get there. If the star didn't appear until he was born and they were so far away, it would take them a long time to get there, right? But how do we know for sure that it didn't come early and that they didn't arrive right on the day that he was born? It's, it's right in this passage. It's just a one-word clue. It says that they came to his, the house, not the stable, not the manger, like the shepherds, but they were in a house by the time the Magi come. So they didn't come right on the day that he was born. We know that for sure. Mary and Joseph were living in a house in Bethlehem by then. And as Ken already pointed out, we don't know exactly how many of them there were. In fact, the earliest number that's written down isn't in the Bible, of course, so it's just somebody else's guess or tradition passed down. Does anybody, anybody have any idea how many? The first number, the earliest time somebody wrote down, it was probably, they, they wrote down a number. Anyone want to guess the number? It wasn't three. Yeah. Nine. We got we to gotta vote for nine. Anybody else want to? Yeah. Seven. Both wrong. I mean, it's a just guess. Yeah. Five. Nope. Still wrong. You're not high enough. None of you are high enough. Twenty. Too high. Fourteen. Fourteen. That would be quite the procession, wouldn't it? Fourteen men and their baggage and camels and so forth. Uh, you know, camels are, again, a guess, right? based on where they would have been coming from and what the typical travel methods would be. Now, this is one of the things that happens at Christmas is we've got all of these, we've got all of these things that are in songs and in tradition for us, right, that we, that we think we know because they must be true or why would you sing about them? It's, it gets a little bit 
gets a little bit dangerous. Like, um, similar to the idea of camels, because camels are at the, at the nativity scene, right? You ever been to a live nativity and seen a camel there? Anybody? I've seen that. It's pretty cool. How did Mary travel to Bethlehem? Does anybody know? Was it on bus? Yeah. Go ahead. By donkey. That's one of those things we know, right? But it's not in the Bible. Any more than camels for the Magi. It's just would have been the typical mode of transportation for a young woman who was pregnant. But she might have just walked. In fact, I'd say it's just as likely that she would have walked. Because they were not particularly wealthy. So, there's a lot of things that we have in, in Christmas traditions that we need, to, we need to be careful not to take them as gospel truth or, or the facts because they're not written down in the Bible. They are traditions that are passed down that have some educated guesses built in and some reasoning built in. We don't know how many there were. It doesn't really matter how many there were, does it? If you want to sing about the, the three kings, go for it. But just remember, they were magi and we don't know how many there were. We don't know exactly where they were from, as Mr. Patrick also pointed out. Uh, Arabia was called the land of the east once in the Bible in Genesis 25.6. And in Judges 6.3, the Arabians were called men of the east at one point. So they could have looked something like Arabs. but we don't know. Or they could have looked more oriental if they came from further east. We do know they were called magi, but we don't know exactly who they were. Not even, you know, not knowing where exactly they come from means we don't know exactly what people. And we don't know exactly what uh, those peoples, because we don't know who they are, what their beliefs were. Right? So, so we don't know a whole lot about them. And magi had sort of a broad meaning. Yes, our word magician comes from it. But it meant the wise men. Um, it meant the magicians. It meant philosophers. It meant astrologers. And you got to remember that astrologers at that time were also astronomers. It wasn't until fairly recently that we made any distinction between astrology and astronomy. So when you say astrologers, yes, they were, they were looking to the stars, trying to learn from them, but they were not simply what you think of as astrology today, where you, you know, come up with whether you're a Pisces or a... Can I think of any others? I don't, I don't know. 
Aries, there we go. <laughs> and, and then, you know, tarot cards and all this. No, they were actually scientists. They would actually study the stars and figure out mathematically and, and using what level of physics and so forth they could understand. They were studying the sky and the stars, the movement of the planets and the bodies. So they were, uh, magi is a, is a broad term that also actually includes priest. So these would have been important men. Not kings, but important. These would have been counselors to a king. Kings always wanted to have magi, men who were educated, who understood the way of things, the way of the world. Um, and it was, it was definitely, it definitely included an element of foretelling and of religion. This whole priest element and astrology element. Um, so, what was their emphasis, the emphasis of our magi? Well, we could try to make them into some sort of, you know, holy version of, you know, remove all of the astrology elements that would be bad and leave only the astronomy elements and, and remove all of the religious elements that would have been heathen and, and not part of Judaism, right? We could try to make them into these sort of perfect, clean Christian ideas that, are, that we would be left with, but we don't get any indication of that from the Bible. It just says magi. And so we should probably assume they were normal magi. Why does all this matter? Well, because then they come and they worship Jesus. They come and they worship this newborn king. And so we can learn from them because whatever they were and wherever they came from and whatever their people were, their response was wise. They arrived after doing a lot of work and spending a lot of time seeking. They found Jesus Christ. And we should seek to be like them. You may have seen signs around this time of year that say, wise men still seek him. Wise men still seek him. And that is true. Wise men still seek Jesus. So let's look at this a little bit more in depth how they responded to Christ's coming, and how we can learn from them. If we know the Magi were not Jews, because they were from the East, right? they still may have descended from Abraham, interestingly enough. 
Because you remember that Abraham, you guys remember, he was had a lot of descendants. And not all of Abraham's descendants were Jews, right? Not all of them were chosen. You have these splits. You've got Jacob and then you've got Esau. The people are split. That happens more than once. Well, these magi lived in a faraway land. It's also true, though, that they might have known of many of the promises of God, including that he would send a savior. They might have known the prophecy of Balaam. How would they know the prophecy of Balaam? And what was Balaam's prophecy? Balaam was another non-Jew from the east. Remember who Balaam was? You may remember the story of Balaam's donkey. You guys remember the donkey? The donkey that talked? Balaam was another religious figure uh, who was definitely not a Jew and yet who God used and spoke through. And so God revealed certain things to Balaam, even though Balaam was not one of his priests, not one of his people. He was still a priest and God still spoke through him. I just want to stop here for a minute and say, uh, this, this can be a little bit scandalous to us, if you, if you actually think, you know. Here's this non, non-Jew, and he's actually, he's actually seeking, if he can, to curse God's people but God speaks directly through him and makes a prophecy. We'll read it here. Numbers 24, 17. I see him, this is Balaam's prophecy, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheth. It's quite the prophecy, isn't it? Quite the prophecy for someone who is seeking to destroy God's people instead of seeking to bless them. Quite the prophecy to give to the king of Moab, right? Would you want to be the king of Moab and hear that prophecy? (laughs) Shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheth. Well, 
Can you imagine if that prophecy was made, uh, it would probably not be a popular thing to spread around, but it also would be shocking enough that you might just you might just pass it on from one wise man to the next, right? I want to I stop here and say, just like it can be scandalous to us that this happens with Balaam, the same kind of thing can be shocking and scandalous to us uh, today. There's a book of stories from Ethiopia, from evangelists, Ethiopian evangelists that went around and tried to spread the gospel to tribes that had never heard. And a record of the things that they ran into, some of which were similar to this, quite shocking. Multi-generation prophecies that had been passed down from one witch doctor to the next about the coming of the truth or the coming of the life or the words of truth and life. These are the kinds of things that they would say one day somebody will come. And they, they would have specific details. And a few generations later, all of a sudden, the people in this village are looking at this guy like, hey, you just did the thing that the prophecy said. Do you have the words of truth and life? But these are witch doctors. How could they possibly have anything true to say. Well, God can speak even through those who do not worship him. God can speak even through us seeking demonic idols. Should we expect God to speak when we, see, when we seek demons? No. <laughs> we should expect demons to speak, right? But God is powerful and generous. And so he speaks at times through Balaam and blesses God's people instead of cursing them. He speaks at times through witch doctors and reveals his truth and says, be ready. The time is coming. And so here we have these magi, priests, astrologers, wise men. They may have known this prophecy. A star shall come forth from Jacob, a scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheth. If that's all you knew, and you were a magi, and a star showed up over, coming from the west, from the land of Judea, right? You think maybe that would come to mind? Hmm. And if you had thought and studied this passage at all, this one little prophecy, what do you think you would do 
if you thought that that king had been born. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheth. Faced with that, there's really only two options, right? One is to cross your fingers and hope for the best. And the other is to go throw yourself on your face before him and hope for mercy, isn't it? These were wise men. We don't know that they knew that prophecy. But that's probably one of the most likely things that they would have had any history of in their people. They might have known many other passages, having, being men who were educated and studied. They might have had any number of other passages from the Old Testament. It's possible that they would have read other prophecies as well. But in terms of their own culture, they could have had that one passed down from generation to generation as part of their history. At any rate, a couple of ancient writers mentioned that at this time there was an expectation among the men of the East that a power would rise in Judea according to some prophecies they had. So, there was this kind of like, hey, you know, you know how these things happen? You've, you've got these sort of cultural expectations that grow and build. Uh, I'm trying to think of an example from, from recently. Um, you know, I think that in the, in the evangelical world right now, there's kind of this growing expectation that abortion is going to come to an end and that we're going to bring about the end of abortion. It's just kind of this growing gut feeling in us, right? I don't think we have any prophecy that, that says that's going to happen. Uh, and I doubt it, personally. Nevertheless, that's one kind of example of, of what we see here, that there's, this, there's just this expectation, this growing expectation. There's going to be, there's some prophecy, and there's going to be a king. There's going to be this power that rises in Judea. And they saw a star. And through their study, through their knowledge of the stars, through prophecy and history, in some manner, God made it clear to them that the great king they had been expecting had arrived. As far as we know, it was just a lone star that they had as a sign. The time had arrived. Now, why do I say a lone star? Well, because I want us to contrast. Here I've painted the, the best case scenario of what the Magi knew, right? Potential prophecy from Balaam, potentially other revealed prophecies passed down, um, given by God to heathen prophets, Magi, um, Potentially, maybe, reading of the Old Testament, 
passages, some prophecies there. And then finally, just a star. And it's clear that it is the star that they, that they weigh everything else on, right? We saw the star. Where is he? We know he's here. We know he's come. But contrast that with the Jews. What did the Jews have? The Jews had the whole Old Testament, didn't they? Filled with prophecies that Jesus' birth fulfilled. Tons of prophecies, and not just tons of prophecies, but, but the entire Jewish people knew the Old Testament. They knew the prophecies. Why? Because they had been looking forward to a Messiah. They had been looking forward to a Savior, somebody to come and save them. They knew this was in the plan. They knew that God had promised it. And not just that God had promised it, but promised it in particular at the times and in the places where they were suffering most. Because they had forgotten God and gone into captivity. Right? But even as they're going into the captivity, even as the prophets are warning them, you're going to go into, into captivity if you don't repent. Even at that time, the prophets would then say, but unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The prophets, the prophets barely ever talked about the 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 judgment of God, the coming disasters that were, that were about to over, overtake them without immediately intervening and interleaving, adding right there, but the Lord will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. But there will be a time when the young men will dream dreams. There will be a time when the Savior will come. Everything about the Old Testament tells this story. This is what the Jews had. The Jews, the Jews knew where the Messiah was going to be born, didn't they? The Magi didn't know. They come to the capital city. They come to Jerusalem. They're like, where is the king? Herod says, uh, hey, religious leaders, come here. Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Oh, that's Bethlehem. <laughs> yeah, here's the quote. Here's the quote from the Old Testament. Yeah, we know where he's, where he's going to be born. Did the Jews have more of an advantage than the Magi? Oh yeah, they knew exactly what all of the prophecies were. They were living in Jerusalem where the temple was, where the scribes and priests and teachers were constantly teaching. What else did they know? I want you to think about this. 
Zacharias, a priest, one of the religious leaders, right? Zacharias was told by an angel that his own son was to prepare the way of the Lord. Zacharias' wife, Elizabeth, had it revealed to her that Mary's baby was the Lord. Mary knew her son was the Savior. Joseph also knew this separately. You might be thinking, okay, so there's a few people, right? Zacharias prophesied that his son would prepare the way of the Lord and spoke of the fact that the Savior had come. And it says in Luke 1, that fear came on all those living around them and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them kept them in mind. Do you guys get it? This was not this completely out of the blue sudden thing that they had no warning whatsoever was about to happen when Jesus was born. People were afraid based on Zacharias's prophecy. It was a shocking thing. He had been in the temple when he had received the message from the angel, right? And it says he come out, he came out and he couldn't talk. It's like, did you hear? You're in Jerusalem. Are you going to talk about this? Yeah, the priest went in. He came out. He couldn't talk. Who was it? It was Zacharias. You know, later on, hey, whatever happened to that Zacharias guy? Well, he still can't talk. Hey, did you hear? Zacharias can talk again. He said, whoa, Messiah is coming? Messiah has been born? His son is going to prepare the way? This is not something that just gets immediately forgotten, is it? If they were afraid, how about this? Luke 2, 17 and 18, we read about an angel declaring the birth of the Savior to some shepherds. Let's read it. When they had seen this, oh, yeah, first they, they went and saw him and found out who he was. And then it says, when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. What does that mean? That they made known. What does that mean? They told people. They made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Another, another group of people have heard, haven't they? And not just the shepherds, but everybody they told. How about this one? Simeon. Eight days after Jesus is born, his parents take him to the temple, to Jerusalem. The capital, again. The temple, again. And what does Simeon do? Simeon proclaims him to be the Savior 
in the temple in Jerusalem. And Anna, a prophetess, continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, that's a lot of people who have heard before the Magi show up, isn't it? And when the Magi show up, they make use of the little knowledge that they have, and they work hard to come and worship the new king, traveling for probably over a year to get there. And they bring precious gifts to give to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And you know what they do when they see him? Do you remember what it says? They worshipped him, but they rejoiced. They rejoiced when they see the star again, and they're like, hey, we're going to actually be able to get there. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy when they see the star show up again. But what about the Jews? The Jews ignore or forget all of what had happened, all of the prophecies, in less than two short years, Jesus is completely unknown, unheard of in Jerusalem, or at least unworthy of any interest. The Magi show up and ask where the new king of the Jews is, and what was the response they got? When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Now, you can understand Herod being troubled, right? Herod, after all, is supposed to be the king. So when astrologers show up and say, where is the king who has been born king of the Jews? The current king, you can understand him being a little bit on edge about that, troubled. But I think it's interesting what it says right after that. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why is all the rest of Jerusalem troubled at the idea that the king has been born? Because they don't want anybody messing with their good thing. The danger of a new king coming and claiming power is that the Romans will come and crack down on them. The danger is that their growing prosperity will be cut short. There's all kinds of dangers to their desires by the coming of a new king. And so all of Jerusalem was troubled with Herod. Now we see the only two reactions we can have to the news of the birth of Jesus. You'd expect the people of the East to ignore it, pretend like they don't know it, 
forget about it, do their best to forget about it, put on blinders, but they don't. Magi come, right? But that is what the Jews did. And frankly, it's what we as Americans are doing as well. When we seek wealth instead of God, when we're selfish instead of generous, when we trust in our own financial and military power to be our refuge, we are doing our best to ignore what we have had proclaimed to us. And proclaimed to us, let's be clear, on the radio at Panera. I just happened to hear, you know, Christ is born. The newborn king. And not just in Panera. The mall. The radio. Everybody getting a holiday. Time off. All of this is declaring to the entire country, Christ is born. The newborn king. Worth taking time to celebrate. Worth taking time to worship. Take a year off. Take two. Travel. Go see him. Take all your money. Worship him. Fall down before him. These are things that the radio says. We don't want to be reminded, though. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has been born. Do we as a nation want to be reminded of the significance of it? Early on in the season of Advent, we were reminded that part of the reason we celebrate Advent is to celebrate as a reminder that he is coming again. We don't just look back during the Christmas season to the fact that Jesus was born. We also look forward to the fact that this promise that he will come again is also just as surely going to be fulfilled. And so as our nation seeks slowly to excise these reminders, cut any reference to Christmas and change it to winter holidays, right? All of the ways that we're, we're trying. Nevertheless, the Christmas songs play on the radio still. Maybe fewer by the year. Maybe with the words changed more and more. But it's hard to, it's hard to remove all of the truth from joy to the world, isn't it? <laughs> Or the first Noel. I mean, you can hum it. And even then, people are going to have the words pop into their minds. 
do we want to be reminded ourselves as Christians? See, this is the scandal. It's, it's not just Jerusalem, the, the, you know, growing atheistic culture. No, it's the Jews. It's God's people who have everything. You can say, you know, the rest of the people living in the area certainly knew because it was such a part of the culture. Just like we can say the rest of America knows because it's part of the culture. But we know for sure. We know that we have a duty to rejoice that he has come. We know that we have a duty to rejoice that he's coming again. I think that's the one that we struggle with more. Because if you think about him coming again and you think about what it will mean, it's a scary thought. It doesn't just have to be scary if you're a dispensational premillennial who thinks that the story that you read and left behind is scary and must be true because after all it says it's a Christian book. It's scary setting aside everything else about the culture, everybody else and what may happen. It's scary just thinking about you being before God. It's scary thinking, am I ready? Could I rejoice at that day? Have I prepared for that day? Or when he comes like a thief in the night, will it be a nasty surprise to me? Does it mean, thinking about that, that I have to give up my priorities, the things that I've been seeking? Are we troubled like Jerusalem was troubled? Not that the idea that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, but that the idea that Jesus will come again. Here's the thing. The only way you can celebrate the fact that Jesus is coming again is if you celebrate the fact that he was born. Because when he was born, the angels declared, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. You can't ask for better news than for the angels of God to be declaring that. The Magi didn't have that. At most, they had... He will come and he will crush the forehead of Moab. I'm, I'm Moabite. You know? Well, we better go and worship. But what do the people of God get? Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. And so, yeah, if you've received Christ the child born, then yes, you can celebrate the fact that he will come again. And no, you can't be troubled by it. No, it's not, it's not something to think is going to be in your way. It's not troubling that he demands our worship. 
It's not troubling that he demands our obedience. It's not troubling that he restrains us from pursuing our lusts. It's something we can rejoice in. We can rejoice and worship him with great joy. Joy that he became a man. Joy that he died for our sins. Joy that he promised to come back and judge the world. And we can rejoice by giving to him our most cherished and precious things. We give up everything to seek the kingdom of God. We give up everything in order to worship him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us all good things. You have given us your word so that we know why Jesus came, so that we know he's coming again. And yet, Father, we forget and we become so self-centered and we begin to seek and grasp after so many things that we think will bring us joy. But Father, we're not joyful. They don't bring us happiness. We don't ever become content. We never have enough. Until, Father, until we rejoice in the coming of Jesus, until we rejoice that he will return, And Father, yes, this troubles us when we see our sin. But we know that Jesus brought peace between God and man. And so we worship you and we rejoice that Christ was born, our newborn King. We fall down before you and we worship. And we bring our gifts like the Magi, Father. And we remember. Help us to be wise like them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.